Hi, this is Natalie Lander, voice of Kinsey, Tara Branford, Stargirl, and many others. You are listening to a W2Mnet podcast. You can visit W2Mnet.com for other podcasts about entertainment, video games, sports, and wrestling. Good evening, afternoon, whenever you happen to be listening, and welcome to the kickoff divisional round edition. All right, so me and the guys kind of talked about this. Oh, hi, everyone. Harry Broadhurst here. I'm your host. Joining me, as per usual, the Down Since Day One co-host and the anchor man, Eric Watkins. Stay classy, W2M. I hit you with Tony's nickname there, too, because <laughs> technically he's also a, a Down Since Day One. This is true. One of the originals, as it were. We are the OG of the KICK. I'm thinking OG of the KO, but never mind. Well, I thought Mama did say knock ramp. you out. We tried anyway. <laughs> down, down, down since day one, Eric Watkins. <laughs> the other voice you just heard is the unprofessional, Jason Teasley. Oh, I'm professional. I'm the most professional person here. Because you you're actually dealing with work. money? I mean, I've only spent $500 a day on Jeep parts. I mean, he does have you there. Me too, for that matter. I haven't spent $500 in a single day since... Well, probably since I got my first stimulus a couple of months ago. And that was oh, to I catch spent, up some bills. I spent $500 in like 15 minutes. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever done that. Well, I mean, technically I have. Yeah, but hookers don't count. your name? <laughs> family show. <laughs> I'll family show myself for that one. <laughs> All right, so we have a full preview of the divisional round coming up where we're going to do much the same way that we did with the wildcard weekend games will give you our prediction on who wins how they fare against the spread and any potential standout performances to look towards but the thing we're going to open the show with instead of the nfl is we're going to start with college football and the 2020 national champion alabama crimson tide yawn it pains me to say it as much as it pains you guys to hear it i'm happy that the title stays in the sec Good for the SEC, yay for them, but each in the SEC, anybody but Bama. Saban wins, I believe, a record seventh. Correct. He yeah. ties he the bear. Yep, he ties the bear with six at Alabama, but counting his one at LSU, he stands alone at seven. As the Crimson Tide rolled pun intended, the Ohio State Buckeyes 52-24, to and let's be frank, it wasn't that close. No. It was not. Now, I got a question uh, to steal Harry's guinea. Does this see him as the greatest college football coach in history? I mean, I don't know that you can say that he already wasn't. I mean... I, it... mean, I mean, there was debate but before this. But does this national title see him as the absolute best college football coach? I would really it's have to, to argue against it. 
Yeah, I would have to agree. I mean, look at the body of work this season. 13-0 and under a total shitstorm of a college football season this year. Ten of those wins were really 11 in the SEC. Not to mention, this is his sixth national championship in 12 years. Add to what he did at LSU. Even add to what he did at Michigan State. I can't find anybody that has, even if you're taking just the regular season, you can find people with that better of a body of work. But if you're culminating in bringing home trophies, sorry, this is unparalleled. And what? the fact that, oh, by the way, they expect them to be in the top two next season and probably go ahead and run it back. To steal a line from professional wrestler Booker T, the sport is all about checks and championships. And when it comes to the championships, that's how you get the checks. The thing about it is, is Saban's set. Saban doesn't have to worry about money for the rest of his life as it is. So all he has to do is focus on getting the job done at Alabama. And it's, it's a factory of talent down there because of the name brand value of the Alabama school. The ability that Saban has is to convalesce all this talent together, to have them gel together as a team, and to allow them to put the beating that we saw them put on Ohio State on Monday night. And it also really helped that on top of having all of your talent, Devontae Smith, Heisman Trophy winner, a record 12 catches, a record tying three touchdowns in the first half, leaves with an injury. Najee Harris completing a record season. Mac Jones tying for a record five touchdown passes. So you have all of this talent to put a beating as is. Plus, you have Ohio State, Justin Fields, still dealing with his ribs. Sermon out really early in the game, although Ohio State kind of made up for it. And then losing key players as well. So you really just added uh, gasoline to the fire in that one, and this was the end result. And what's sad is he wasn't even the best wide receiver in college football or even in the SEC, but that says a lot about about that, considering he wasn't even the best receiver in the conference. He wasn't even the best receiver on his team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I mean, so so I was I seen this on Twitter and it brought up a good brought up a good matchup, uh, but it was put to rest pretty easily in my eyes. Um, last year's national championship team versus this year, LSU Ooh. versus Bama. Yeah, Ooh. I mean, I got the answer to that I last. I think I take this year's Alabama team over last year's LSU team. I don't know. I don't know. I, know. I think Saban gives them the advantage. Well, he I had the he had the advantage last season, and look what happened as well. Yeah, but he didn't have the talent last year that he has this year. He didn't have um, a Mac Jones that was as good as Mac Jones was this year. He didn't have the breakout performance that Devontae Smith had this year. He didn't have the performance that Najee Harris had this year. Don't get me wrong. Ed Ogeron did a fantastic job with the LSU Tigers last year, and I'm not taking anything away from what Ogeron Coach O accomplished. That being said, 
I do think that Nick Saban and Alabama in this year's national championship team head-to-head, putting both teams in full glory, no injuries, no outs, all the coaching staff still together, including the two that the two assistants that Ogeron lost. Because you know uh, Saban's about to lose both of his coordinators as well. Again, but he's got some good replacements again. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't Steve Sarkeesian rumored to Texas? Oh, no, not just rumored. That's done. <laughs> and then I heard talk about the defensive coordinator getting a job elsewhere, too. I don't remember specifically what school it was, but I heard that the D.C. might be leaving as well. I know that um, the name for the offensive coordinator, wasn't it supposed to be uh, Bill O'Brien? Mm-hmm. I think that's also locked in as well. I may be premature in saying that. The former Penn State and most recently Houston Texans coach. All right, Eric, where, where do you fall on this 2019, Alabama, or 2019 LSU versus 2020 Alabama? LSU, but in a close one. If you've got these 2020 Alabama performances, yes, I think you're going to have a wildly entertaining game. But I think LSU just still had that little bit of an edge. We might be looking at an overtime classic, probably a last play sort of a situation, but... LSU would take it, at least to me. Well, the the main thing that I think LSU would have the advantage would be quarterback, because I would take Joe Burrow over uh, Mac Jones. Oh, easily. I think, I think Harris and um, Edwards Hilaire is a wash. And, and I, you could argue that um, Smith and, and Jefferson would be a wash as well. Oh, I don't see that. I see Jefferson... Uh, a, a solid, solid advantage. Even if you were to look at that, how who would you have as far as with matching up against Jalen Waddle? And like, yes, he was injured, but if we're talking completely healthy, I think LSU had a better number two as well. Are we giving Alabama Ridley back? No, Ridley wasn't there last year. No, for this year's team. Because there's your there's your counterbalance for for Waddle. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Either way, um, I think Ohio State has nothing to hang their heads about. For as condensed of a season as the Big Ten had this year, the fact that they started as late as they did, let's be honest, Alabama had almost a month head start on Ohio State when it came to opportunity to gel. And people are going to hate me for saying this, and I don't care. Alabama had a tougher schedule getting here than Ohio State did because of the quality of play in the SEC compared to the Big Ten. I mean, SEC bias aside... As an ACC guy, yeah, I have to agree with you. And let's face it, if you're really looking at the hard and fast rules, had it been Indiana in these shoes, it wouldn't, that would have just been a total nightmare. So, and Ohio State almost lost to Indiana. Indiana wouldn't have gotten by Clemson, to be fair. No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't have. I'm the first to admit that. 
Ohio State has nothing to hang their heads about. They finally got the monkey that is Clemson off of their back and returning to the national championship game in a shortened season. Nothing to be upset about. I don't think that they had the talent to hang with Alabama just as – and I told people this the last time that um, Ohio State was in the championship game against an SEC team. When they played Florida, I said that you guys don't have the firepower to hang with the SEC offense. I, when, uh, when Ohio State played Florida – I said Florida was going to beat them by three scores, and the final was damn near similar to what the final was to, on a Monday night. Uh, I kind of miss Chris Lee. Throwing and then, that of course, out there. That Florida coach ended up at Ohio State, and he's now rumored to be taking his talents to Jacksonville. Or Los Angeles. I could see him as the Chargers coach. Yeah. I heard that I heard that the Chargers want I heard that the Chargers want Brian Dable though, so I don't know. It's just especially after Shad Khan's comments, I'm nervous regardless, but that's a conversation for another day. Indeed. We will be going into the coaching carousel once we have fewer games to preview and review. This particular show now that anybody have anything else about the national championship game? Um, a lot more people are saying that because of this and with everything in the pandemic and how many millions of dollars teams are going to have to make up. Remember what I said about the television contracts and uh, radical wholesale changes? Be prepared the next few years. I think TV rights will still be available to the schools from this year. I think losing out on all that in-person attendance is what's going to screw them, though. It's not necessarily the TV rights won't be available. They'll be available. But what was the big thing that drove the last two waves of conference realignment? TV rights and those big, fat paychecks. You think we're going to see another major realignment, much the same way we saw back in the early, in uh, 2011? Oh, don't be surprised if there's machinations being activated behind the scenes right now. I've heard some things, and it wouldn't surprise me of their legitimacy. Plus, with ESPN and their money that they're investing, a lot of conversations that we've had could be coming to fruition even sooner than we think. So what you're saying is dun-dun-dun. Cha-ching, dramatic reverb. Jason, you got anything else for the national championship game? No, I mean, uh, I mean, Alabama was far more superior, uh, I mean, do I think uh, Ohio State went in at a slight disadvantage for the late late start of the season? Uh, maybe. Uh, do I think Ohio State should have been there in the first place? No. Did the NCAA bend the rules to uh, meet the criteria so Ohio State could play for it? Uh, but, I mean, in my opinion, uh, I don't see any other team in the nation Hanging with Alabama, so I mean, it all came out in the end, and the national championship with, went to the most deserving team, even though that you know my hopes and dreams were shattered, uh, and my upsetting of a national champion was not was not fulfilled. 
maybe next year. I doubt it, but maybe next year. Ginger Domus is heading home on this one. He he has no place here now. Yeah. All right, let's recap Wildcard Weekend, gentlemen. And we start Saturday afternoon where the monkey is finally off of the back of the Buffalo Bills, albeit with some major controversy. Um, Eric? Yes? I don't advocate violence, but if somebody would like to beat that referee's ass from that game on last Saturday, I would not be entirely opposed to it. I mean, you're back at home. I'm sure you'll still have a small contingent of fans. Maybe you can bend the tailgating rules so that referee ends up to a burden table. I'm not saying, but if certain things were to happen, I doubt very few or very many people would object. Indianapolis gets a second opportunity after a fumble call is called a not a fumble and then stands upon a replay with crystal clear evidence that the runner had reestablished his footing with no body parts on the ground when he coughed the ball up. Regardless, Jason, there's something appropriate about the fact that the Buffalo Bills season almost came to an end on another Hail Mary. Uh, yeah, I mean... Uh, and, and I think that if that would have happened, I think we would have needed to uh, definitely uh, have a wellness check on you if uh, Buffalo lost on uh, second Hail Mary, uh, especially you know in the playoffs to an AFC South team. <laughs> uh, I definitely think that you know your well-being may have been endangered uh, because I think that might have been the the straw that broke you. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of crazy. But, of course, it was Phillip Rivers, and the ball landed. Even if somebody would have caught it, it would have been five, five yards from the end zone. So, I think even if the catch was made, you still won. The sad thing about it is, and I'll talk more about my Bills game a little bit later on here because I want to get through all of the games before I give any more conversation as to what I think is going to happen with the rest of the season. The sad thing about it is, is for as impressive as Buffalo knocking that 25-year monkey off of their back was, it wasn't the longest postseason drought ended this weekend, Eric. <laughs> Those rat bastard Browns. Yeah, that one got ugly quickly, and the Browns were like, you know what, we're here. We haven't won on the road since 69. We haven't really beaten the Steelers, all this. Let's just go ahead, drop trowel, shoot our wads, and go home. <laughs> I do have some sad news, though. After the game, the state of Pennsylvania found 14 extra points for the Steelers, and they will be advancing <laughs> the wild card weekend. <laughs> I forget where I saw that on Facebook, but it made me laugh. Jason, how surprised were you at the absolute beating that Cleveland put on Pittsburgh on Sunday night? I mean, I, I was I was blown away. Uh, you know, I've got a cousin who is a diehard Browns fan. And, you know, um, it, it was just one of those things that, just like 
with you and Buffalo, it, it made me feel really good to see that, you know, teams that have not done um, great, uh, finally seeing success, finally getting that monkey off their back and being able to uh, take in and show that, you know, and shake that stigma, especially the Browns. Because the Browns, uh, my cousin always said that when he dies, he's going to write a letter to the Browns to ask for the uh, offensive line to be his pallbearers because they've let him down all his life. They might as well let him down one more time. <laughs> um, so to see to see him, to see <laughs> his, you know, me and him texting back and forth, to see how elated he was about the Browns finally winning, especially against Pittsburgh because, uh, I mean, through our conversations on here, and we all know those fans uh, that, you know, when Pittsburgh was undefeated, they was uh, they was talking that they're the greatest team ever. And then they showed their true colors. Um, so seeing Cleveland beat Pittsburgh was probably the probably the highlight of my weekend uh, to shut up all the uh, pompous um, Steeler fans. But, you know, right after the game, they did announce uh, on direct TV that uh, the History Channel will be free for all Steelers fans since all their fans t- tend to live in the past anyway. So, so that was uh, that was that was also something that helped me with work. Man, the, the History Channel's getting all the good stuff. <laughs> I was gonna say, pretty sure I've made that same joke about the Cowboys in the past, but you're not wrong. The thing with Cleveland's win here, and I will give the Browns credit, is despite jumping out to that 28 nothing lead in the first quarter, they were then simultaneously outscored for the rest of the game by a score of 37-19, to 19, I believe, because it was 47 or 38-19. to 19. The final score was 47-30. No, it was 47-36. So 36-19. I'll, I'll get it right eventually. Final score was 47-36. So after jumping up 28-0, they were outscored 36-19. Eric, do oh, you think that there's... You were still wrong because the final score was 48-37. to So they were outscored 37-20. to I like that. <laughs> uh, Eric, do you think there's a carryover effect from how poorly they played in the second half going to Kansas City this week? I really do, and this is another one, a bit of a tease, pun intended, that the fact that the way that this line is is settling, I'm still a little bit nervous, just like I was before, proven wrong, but I think the Browns are going to be able to get it together at some point. The problem is they're not going to have as fast of a start as they did. So the thing is, how are they going to overcome that? Because let's be real, 28 to nothing at the first quarter, we haven't seen the likes of that since the Oilers and Raiders in the AFL semifinals back in 1963, 1964, thereabouts. I'll take take your word for it because I clearly don't know what the hell I'm talking about tonight. Jason, same question. Do you think we see a carryover effect from the fact that the team had such a poor second half performance? No, I don't think we see a carryover. I think uh, 
to much everybody's surprise, this this uh, game against Kansas City is going to be a lot closer than what people expect it to be. Uh, I expect the the momentum and the tempo to be uh, dragged way down because the less you have Mahomes on the field, the less that offense uh, can be a juggernaut. Uh, so I look for uh, Kareem Hunt uh, and uh, Nick Chubb to have stellar days with uh, probably a combined, I'm going to say a combined 40 rushing attempts between them. All right, we'll give our actual prediction for that game here in a little bit, but let's close out our conversation about the AFC's wild card weekend as we talk Baltimore and Lamar Jackson getting their first postseason victory since, I think since they won the Super Bowl two, a couple of years back. So Jackson, 2015? 2015. Jackson's first as a starter in the NFL as they go to Tennessee and – Let's call it what it is here. The, tit- the Titans had no run game at all. They shut down Derrick Henry in this game, and I think that was the major difference is the fact that Baltimore was able to establish a ground game, which opened up the lanes for Lamar Jackson to take off as well because you saw his game-clinching rush for the first down at the end of the game there. Derrick Henry had like 42 yards rushing in this entire game, Eric. 40. Yeah, exactly. So they completely shut down the vaunted Titans' run running game and Ryan Tannehill reverted back to earlier Tannehill performances, unable to recreate the magic of last season's postseason run. And this is something that I wanted to note, and I'm going to have one last thought about the Steelers Browns game because it does tie into this game between the Ravens and Titans. I had mentioned this to a few different people in a couple different chats. Ben Roethlisberger against the Browns. 47 of 68 501 yards, four touchdowns, four interceptions. A single-game record, regular season or postseason for completions in a game. Would you want a quarterback to have those sorts of stats? For the most part, yes. But that's not the way that the Steelers were designed to win, asking that much of him. And it was the same way with Tennessee. Asking that much of Tannehill, with Derrick Henry shut down the way he was, that is not how the Titans were built to win games. It's not how they got to the AFC Championship game last year, and we saw it again this season. Meanwhile, for the Ravens, they were able to control. Lamar Jackson, not a lot through the air, didn't need it. All of his 300 yards, it was a sl- almost even split, about 130-170 between rushing and passing. But that's the kind of way, with those lanes opened up, as you mentioned, that's how he was able to be effective. That's what got the Titans close, but in the end, their defense just got way too exposed getting through that second level at the end. Yeah, I mean, Jackson rushed for 136 yards and one touchdown, and he only threw for 179 uh, for zero touchdowns. So, I mean, I... And I thought Tennessee's defense would be able to contain him. Uh, like I, like Eric was talking, uh, if you want to beat Lamar Jackson, take away his running ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you take away his running ability and make him rely on his arm, uh, he, he's not that effective. Where he's effective is when he becomes the dual threat, uh, uh, a la Michael Vick. Uh, he can beat you with his ar- arm. Mm, highly unlikely. 
He'll beat you with his legs and uh, rushing, especially once he gets to that second level. And, you know, he's going one-on-one with linebackers that he can uh, easily evade and DBs that he can overpower. So just a quick question off topic. Uh, this one's for you, Eric. Toaster strudels or Twinkies? Twinkies. Always Twinkies. I, I prefer the Twinkie as well. So, Harry, what about you? Do you prefer a toaster strudel or Twinkie? Uh-huh. I'm team toaster strudel. Yeah. I mean, in the right situation, a toaster a strudel is, is appropriate, but, you know, I, I go all in on a Twinkie. All right, back to the conversation. Exactly. You, there's a, you can't really get too messy with the Twinkie like you can with a toaster strudel. Less cleanup required afterwards. Although, if we're if we're talking goat breakfast foods, you got to put the cinnamon roll in the conversation. No, it's only toaster strudels and Twinkies. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a joke here that I'm not understanding, but that's okay. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Up next, we move over to Wild Card Weekend in the NFC, Eric. And, well, little kids everywhere are excited to watch their first game on Nickelodeon. And then Mazda Mitchell Trubis- Mazda Miata Mitch Trubisky. Thank you. Right. Mm-hmm. Mazda, Mazda Miata Mitch Trubisky showed out in fine Mitch Trubisky form. Although the first one was not on him. Wims should have made that a lot closer than it, sh- than it was early with that ball that went straight through his hands. And the New Orleans Saints went on to defeat the Chicago Bears 21-9 to with the Bears only scoring on the very last play of the game and Jimmy Graham literally walking off. Exactly. That's how you know you're from the U. When you go ahead, you catch the last pass, and then you just like, yep, I'm done. It's game. It's possibly career. I'm out. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Mazda Miata Mitch, he was able to get out of first gear early, and then something with the transmission, something with the clutch, whatever happened, he just became the broken down Mazda Miata we all know and love. And I'm pretty sure that with this ignominious end of the season, there's going to be a lot of questions and changes up in the Windy City. I don't necessarily know that this was entirely Trubisky's fault. The Saints made that team one-dimensional, and the Bears were missing several of their key players as well, including a couple of early injuries to a few defensive stalwarts. Yeah, but if you can't rely on that one dimension, then that's going to be a problem. Now, granted, yes, take into account the fight, take into account the defensive injuries, and that being really the last performance of Chuck Pagano that we've seen, as unfortunate as it is, there's still some fundamental things that they really have to ask themselves. Because while they could have been closer, it very well could have, it wasn't. And that even says to the Saints to where they couldn't pull away when they could have made it a lot uglier than it really was. 
that's kind of the question I want to ask you, Jason. Do you think that this is indicative of New Orleans' chances in this postseason, that this game wasn't more of a discrepancy than the final score ended up being? No, I mean, uh, I, I think that uh, the Saints didn't want to exasperate uh, all their um, – all the the needed effort, they knew that they was favored to win, and I think they played more cautiously, looking past Chicago, therefore made the game a lot closer than what it should have been. Um, I mean, you still got Michael Thomas coming back, uh, needing to get him in the flow of the game. Uh, Kamara was just coming back off the COVID list. You wanted to make sure that you know he got work, got everything under him. So, I mean, it was pretty much a, a tune-up game, and I really think that they looked past Chicago, knowing that they had the talent to beat them, uh, and looking, for the, looking toward the second round, being sure that they was, they was primed and ready to go uh, for their next matchup and not worried about the current matchup. The 3-6 matchup saw the Seattle Seahawks hosting the Los Angeles Rams, Jason, and those Rams came to play an impressive performance in relief by Jared Goff I will admit I was wrong I figured Goff would be the downfall of the Rams in this game because I thought he was starting but after John Wolford gets taken out of the game with a neck injury early Jared Goff comes in and the Rams pick up a 30 to 20 victory in Seattle to set their path to Green Bay for the divisional round here. Your thoughts on the Rams pulling the upset in Seattle? I was shocked. Um, I, I, I've been an avid Seattle Seahawks uh, push uh, on this podcast. Uh, and I honestly, even last week, I thought I even said that Russell Wilson was going to show up and, you know, um, Seattle, Seattle's defense was going to show up, and I was wrong. Uh, I can admit that. Um, very seldom times that I'm wrong, um, but <clears throat> I think that we uh, we all talked about last week that Seattle was uh, has the talent. They just don't have. They didn't have the execution, and I think it all comes down to a turning point in the game and I posted this in our W2EM sports chat, is the mental breakdown and the tantrum DK Metcalf threw on the sidelines about not getting the ball. Then the very next drive, Russell Wilson forces a wide receiver screen that, that was, I mean, telegraphed tremendously. I mean, anybody watching the game knew what play they called, and it was a pick, turned into a pick six, and I think that was the turning point of the game uh, because not only did that put uh, a lot of pressure on Metcalf um, for throwing the tantrum, but it took a lot of momentum that Seattle had at that point. They was building the momentum, and it just took all the wind from themselves. A strong moment of immaturity, courtesy of the Seahawks sideline in there, Eric, and not something you usually see on a veteran-led team like a Russell Wilson team. Obviously, this is a conversation that's going to carry into the offseason, Eric. Do you think the Seahawks can recover from this? And is Metcalf's place still in Seattle after basically forcing their hand and it turning against them so tremendously? 
I really do. I think while the, the, that's going to be one of the conversations, I think that that was only really a moderate impact because there was something that I've noticed that I've noticed really throughout the past couple of years <gasps> that the Rams really exposed. Yes, the first ever pick six off a wide receiver screen this season did not help matters. But with the whole mentality, what was it going in? Let Russ cook. You can't really cook if your kitchen is missing ingredients. You can't cook if your kitchen is on fire. He was running around because of what has been a long-standing weakness in the offensive line. Yes, that was a moment with Metcalf, and I think he's going to get a talking to, but I really think that that can be ironed out. There's a little bit of a bigger issue in how are you really going to find a way to invest to get Russell protection? That way, you don't see the kind of breakdowns against really even average defensive fronts, let alone what the Rams were able to present with Aaron Donald. If they don't fix that issue, we could see this going all over again, not just for 2021, but for another year or two as well. Jason, does Donald have to repeat this performance that he had against Seattle in order for the Rams to have a chance against Green Bay? Uh, the Rams have no chance. Uh, I, I, I'm i going to flat out say that. I think this is going to be a murder. Uh, playing in Lambeau against a rested Green Bay team? No. Uh, I, Agree verb. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, don't, I don't see. I think this is this is going to be uh, a Rogers showcase. I think you're going to see a lot of Devontae Adams. Um, and I'm going to tell you the unsung hero of the, of the game is actually going to be Lazard. Uh, I think he's going to actually show out this game and show what he can actually do. And being a, a, a solid wide receiver, too, on that team, that a lot of people have forgotten about. See, I, I just think Seattle's – or excuse me, I think Green Bay is just so loaded with weapons at so many different positions offensively that if the Rams are going to have a chance in this game, they're going to have to make this a ball – they're going to have to make this a ball control kind of game, and I don't think the Rams have the backs in order to do that. We'll talk more about that game when we make our predictions here, but we have one final game from Wild Card Weekend to cover, Eric, and that game saw the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defeat the Washington Redacteds in Washington 31-23. I will say this much. I was actually pleasantly surprised by how Haneke but how Taylor Haneke played, especially for a guy, for a kid who was in collegiate courses a couple of months ago. The former old the former old Dominion quarterback working on his um, on his bachelor's degree, I believe. So no, I'm going to add to that. And seriously, this is especially to all of the math geeks out there. Y'all know how hard partial differential equations is. If you can make it through that, being an NFL quarterback is not that bad in comparison. <laughs> that being said, Washington's defense had some breakdowns in this game that eventually led to Tampa Bay being able to pick up a win here. A lot of people had this pegged as the one road team that would win here. We talked about the history of the sub-500 team in the postseason before. That being said, I think all three of us took Tampa Bay to win, but 
I believe two of us had Washington covering, which did end up happening. Yeah, because that one, I knew that it was going to be, I didn't expect it really as this high scoring, but give credit to Tampa, or yeah, may as well say it, Tampa Bay. This is going to be another one of those real kiss-my-ass moments going forward in the playoffs, which you love to see. But I'm really curious about where Washington goes after this. From Taylor Heineke, who I knew in the preseason with the Minnesota Vikings a couple years ago, you saw him as a backup in the XFL with the St. Louis Battlehawks, and now this. He may have cemented himself a place, especially with the elephant in the room that is Alex Smith. How viable is Alex Smith going forward, Jason? Do you think he's done enough to secure the starting job in Washington for next year? Or do you think the injury risk outweighs the potential reward of keeping Smith on the roster? Uh, two things. Uh, one, one, I'll touch on that question first. I think he's a starter. Uh, do I think that Washington brings in an insurance policy? Absolutely. Uh, secondly, uh, I got to give Tom Brady uh, a lot of respect for what he said to Alex Smith uh, post-game. Uh, I mean, it shows that, you know, you can hate Brady all you want, but moments like that, uh, telling Alex Smith, you know, how proud he was of him and everything uh, shows that, you know, Tom Brady can be a dick. You could not like him. But he has respect for the for the game itself uh, and uh, some of the players that he holds in high regard. So I, I think Washington has him as a starter, but I guarantee they're going to bring in a, a high-profile insurance policy uh, to be on standby uh, just in case. Or perhaps going after somebody in the draft again after the Dwayne Haskins experiment failed so spectacularly this season. I don't think they're. I don't think they'll go draft. Uh, I think they got a lot more needs to be filled. Uh, you got a lot of solid free agents that are serviceable uh, that will be on the market. So I think they go the free agent route, uh, sign somebody to a one-year deal, maybe a two-year deal, uh, and see how that works out. Uh, it would not surprise me to see see them go that route because uh, you want that. You want that veteran experience to come in. Um, you could bring a rookie in, but uh, the quarterback pool this year, as far as rookie goes, is fairly shallow. Eric, what team impressed you the most wild card weekend? This is a little bit tough, but I'm going to say because of the way that they took advantage when I really didn't expect, I'm going to have to say it was the Rams. I wasn't surprised that the Browns were able to do what they do because, A, when you've got almost 30 years of frustration in not winning a playoff game and you know yourself, you're going to go ahead and ball out. And the fact that, hey, they pounced on Pouncey with that bad snap, that just started things. But I think with the Rams overall, knowing their issues, knowing what they had, and no going against a division rival like the Browns did, it's like, you know what? Hey, we got a lot of house money, but we really pulled off the upset that no one expected. Jason, what team impressed you the most wild card weekend? Oh, by far the Browns. Uh, 
just because of how quickly that game what was uh was done um and the fact you know it it was the browns uh we all expected we talked about it the browns are going to brown the browns are going to brown uh they almost did uh but um i have to say that i was more impressed with the browns victory on the road in pittsburgh uh than i was the rams i mean the rams was shocking but I have to go with the Browns just for sentimental value. I'm actually going to have a dissenting opinion here as well. I'm going to go with the Baltimore Ravens and the way that they performed against Tennessee, shutting down Derrick Henry. After seeing Derrick Henry grown-ass man, a bunch of different defenders this season, including Buffalo's Josh Norman. I mean, I don't have to remind you guys about the fact that Henry threw Norman into the into the fifth dimension back when they played on that Tuesday after or that Tuesday afternoon earlier this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't need to be reminded of Derrick Henry and his skills in that regard. Thank you very much. We can move on. So while I appreciate not having to run into Tennessee again this year after the beating that Tennessee put on Buffalo earlier on on that Tuesday night game. The thought of playing this Baltimore defense when they actually have their shit together is scary as a Bills fan, especially if they perform as a defense collectively the same way that they did against Henry. The thing is, is Buffalo does not have as good of a ground game as Tennessee does, so shutting down what limited ground game Buffalo has with Singletary and perhaps Devonta Freeman, thank you for that, by the way, Jason, appreciate it, um... It could put a whole lot more pressure on the shoulders of Josh Allen. It could make for a very tenuous situation in Buffalo. Eric, let's flip it here. What team were you the most disappointed in for Wild Card Weekend? Oh, I'm mean, staying in the NFC. It was the Saints. I The Bears played exactly how I thought they would, and I really would have thought, knowing that they had their key weapons back, they would have been able to put together a more complete offensive performance. Coming away with that with only 21 points, I am a little bit worried. Even History Channel, Brady Breeze tweet aside, that's the one thing that I'm thinking about what's going to carry over into the divisional round. Jason, same question. I'm going to say Seattle. Uh, I thought a veteran-led team would show up a lot better than they did. I thought that they played flat. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, um, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Seattle. I mean, it was a toss-up between them and Tennessee, but I think Seattle let me down a lot more because I had such high expectations for that team to be more more focused and very veteran-oriented and veteran-led. But, hey, Russell Wilson gets to go to the Grammys. Eric? Yeah. Same game, other side. I'm going to go with Chicago. Really? And the reason I say that is because of the fact that New Orleans took them so lightly. This was Chicago's opportunity to to make a statement as a franchise that there was some investment possibility there that the young players that they do have, the Denzel Wims, the David Montgomery, the Cordero Patterson, who's been the breakout star in Chicago this year, who's had a very strong season for them as both a returner and as a wide receiver slash running back when necessary. Did better in Minnesota, but that's beside the point. 
He's getting more of a spotlight in Chicago, though, with the bigger market attention. But, I mean, really, for a team that finished their season, including that wild card loss, three and eight, how? what about this really disappointed you? What expectations did you really have? We talked about this. Mazda Miata's breakdown. That's what Trubisky did. But my point was, with with New Orleans taking them so lightly, this was Chicago's opportunity to make a statement, and they still didn't take advantage of that. Oh, yeah, they made the exact statement, they suck. (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong. (laughs) All right, guys, that wraps up our reviews. It's now time for some previews. And since there's only four games to discuss this weekend, we're going to add a little bonus to our predictions for the week. We are going to predict the four divisional round games. We'll pick them against the spread, and we'll hit the over-under as well. This is your chance to shine, Gamblers Anonymous. (laughs) I don't know who you're talking about. Well, all I'm saying is you can still follow all of our advice except for mine when you go ahead and bet on Bovada. They're still offering great deals if you uh, add to your account via Bitcoin. Yeah, get rid of the Bitcoin while you can. I have a reliable source that says Bitcoin's bubble's about to burst. I knew it. I knew it. This is why I've been preaching Ethereum. So if you have any extra Bitcoin lying around that you want to get rid of, by all means, go for it. All right, so. Bovada.lv. And remember, we can't be bought, but we can damn sure be rented. I can be bought. I mean. Our opening contest scheduled for four quarters. Four quarters. Thank you, Jason. I was waiting for that. Sees the Los Angeles Rams heading to Lambeau Field to take on the Green Bay Packers. The line is six and a half, Eric, in Green Bay's favor. The over-under is 45 and a half. Ooh. The six and a half. I do like the fact that. I do like the fact that they're putting. I, I do like the, the fact that they're putting the um. What, what's the what's the word for it when there's a half a point on there? Hook. They're putting the hook on these games in order to make you have a winner one way or the other. Well, not necessarily. That hook is to really entice betting, and when you have this at six and a half, they're really counting on a lot of that money coming in on the Packers, so that way it can be bet to a nice key number of seven, which. I really think it's going to come into your favor if you can get the six and a half now. I like the Packers in this one. The Tundra may not be frozen, but like what I said earlier about the Kiss My Ass Tour, this is another stop for Aaron Rodgers trying to make it to another Super Bowl and tell the organization, hey, bitches, listen to me. I will try to get you rings. You don't, and I'll just go off and host Jeopardy like I give a fuck. Over under 45 and a half, Eric. This is the one that bothers me the most. I know the Packers can score. I'm not so sure about the Rams. I don't know Wolford's availability. Get well soon. I don't think Goff's thumb is still 100%. Even if the Tundra isn't frozen, 
I'm going to lean towards the under on this one. All right, Jason, I see you shaking your head at him. Uh, well, somebody, I did get the Packers at six and a half, and I want to stay with that as well as taking the over simply because I think Rodgers is in the fuck you state of mind, and he's going to put up as many points as possible. Uh, now, on the flip side of that, uh, you know, somebody that's, you know, a little veteran myself with uh, a lot of sports injuries, the the weather if affects you more than you think. The temperature in Green Bay is going to be right around that really cold. It won't be frozen, but it's going to be colder than uh, a well digger's ass. So that coldness affecting any kind of joint uh, manipulation or anything is going to hamper uh, Goff's throwing ability. So he's going to be in struggle. He's going to struggle in the passing game because I think he, with the thumb injury, he's going to have issues gripping the football. So I expect him to have at least two uh, two turnovers due to uh, grip issues. So you really think I the don't... Packers are going to score enough to cover that part of the over? Because I would love to go the over on the Packers team total, no sweat, but it's too wide of a gap. I think it's going to be, uh, what, what you said, 42 and a half? 45 and a half. Uh, yeah, I think I think uh, the Packers at least put up 35. See, that assumes the Rams put up more than 10, though. Um, I'm going to agree verbatim with Eric. Green Bay covering the 6.5 and, and an under on the game. I think the final score ends up being around 31-14. Which would put it right under 45.5 at 45. Oh, yeah, and again, that's another one of those. If you're trying to bet it down and that finishes at 45, that's going to be tricky. I see the Packers putting up, but to me, this is more screaming 35-7 than anything else. The marquee game in the NFC is the Sunday night, well, Sunday afternoon, I guess technically, Sunday, Sunday late evening. Sunday night delight. Sunday twilight. To borrow Australian rules term. Twilight. Very well. With no weather concerns, as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers go to the Mercedes-Benz Superdome in Detroit. Oh, wait. That's not right. That was a wrestling reference. I got it. Man, he no-sold that one. He, He... well, he, he sold the four quarters, so I appreciate him for that. He didn't have to do that. But Tampa Bay goes to New Orleans, a three-point underdog on a 52-line. Jason? Uh, I'm going to take New Orleans, and I'm going to actually take the under on this. Um, I think that uh, it, it, it's going to be New Orleans uh, is going to cover uh, easily. But I think it's uh, that New Orleans defense is going to start showing up, uh, and they're going to uh, pressure Brady to make some bad throws. And with him not being as mobile, uh, unless he's using his walker as the extra blocker, uh, he's not going to be as mobile. So I'm going to see that he's going to be uh, looking up at the lights quite often. Uh, so I don't think that he's going to have the the ability to set the pocket and throw like he has been. So. 
I would take the uh, Saints and the under. Um, I'm taking New Orleans. I'm taking them against the spread as well. But I'm going to take the over on the spread on this one because I think that we're going to end up having a – I think we're going to end up having a shootout here. I do agree that this is an opportunity for New Orleans' defense to show out, and they absolutely 100% did that the last time they played Tampa Bay in primetime on a Sunday, going taking a 38-3 to victory on Sunday night football earlier this season. That being said, this is postseason Brady, and postseason Brady performs a lot better than regular season Brady does. We've seen it for years now. I don't think he has enough with this Tampa team to take down New Orleans, especially now that New Orleans has all their weapons back. But I do think that it is a reasonably close game. The Saints win, we'll say, say 34-24. I have two squid bits for this one. The first, when everybody's talking about Tom Brady, and everybody saw the comparison of him versus George Blanda. This is an NFL record, the oldest quarterback matchup in a game in NFL history. Brady at 43, Breeze, who by the time the game kicks off, will be 42. His birthday is Friday. So... Gosh darn dinosaur quarterbacks. Well, why do you think Brady tweeted about them and the whole matchup being on the History Channel and History Awaits? I thought it was a very well-done tweet. So you're going to see that issue really on both sides. But that's not even the most important squid bit that I have. As Harry mentioned, New Orleans swept Tampa Bay in the regular season. Do you know the last matchup between divisional opponents who one got swept in the regular season and they met again in the playoffs? Uh, uh, I'll go with, let me think, let me think, let me think. I'm going to go with Giants over Cowboys. See, Jason, this is why you're here. 2007, the the Cowboys swept the Giants at regular season. The Giants went on to, not quite Jerry World, but they went to Dallas, beat them, and the rest was history. I really don't see New Orleans beating Tampa Bay three times, not with playoff Brady that you mentioned. I am taking Tampa Bay in this one, and I'm also going with the over because you're going to see a lot of fireworks. Give me a 34-30 Tampa Bay win. So this is shaping up up so far. I mean, the first two games are shaping up. We're, We're all, I don't think, I know we all disagreed on that. I mean, we're going to have definitely... Uh, I went on that. Uh, the first game, I think you and you and Harry agreed, and I was the odd man out. So this is shaping up to be very interesting. Mm-hmm. Let's move over to the AFC now. 
And we start with something that has not happened since the glory days of the consecutive Super Bowl runs. A conference semifinal comes to Buffalo on Saturday night as the Baltimore Ravens come to Bills Stadium. The Bills are two-and-a-half-point favorites. The number is an even 50. Now, I go first on this one because everybody else has gone first on one of the games here, and it's only appropriate that I go first when discussing my team in this instance. Makes sense. I don't like this matchup for Buffalo. I do not like this matchup for Buffalo, and there was a reason that I wanted Pittsburgh to beat Cleveland, and I talked about it in the group chat, and I talked in the sports chat as well that I know both of you guys are a part of as well, in that if Pittsburgh would have beaten Cleveland, it would have sent Pittsburgh to Buffalo again this year. The Bills had already beaten the Steelers in Buffalo this year. Add in the fact that the Bills Mafia will be represented at this game, and I like Buffalo's chances against Pittsburgh. I'm not as sure about our chances against Baltimore, even with that two and a half point cushion. I think this is going to be a super low scoring game. Hammer the under on this one because playoff football in Buffalo can get ugly. And the reports right now are 37 degrees and rain in Buffalo. Ooh. Ooh. Which unfortunately for me favors Baltimore even more. That being said, if you think that for the first time since 1995 that the Bills are in a divisional playoff game and I'm going to pick against them, you are out of your goddamn minds. Give me Buffalo covering the two and a half. Fuck it. There you go. There you go. That's our mafia right there. All right, uh, Eric. Over and under. I said hammer the under. Okay. And I'm saying Bill, I'm saying Bills twenty one seventeen. I'm not even thinking that it's gonna be that high scoring. I am also hammering the under as well on this. And the fact that this game opened at about two and is already bet up to two and a half tells me everything that I need to know. I like the Bills. I like the Bills to cover in this one because even though Baltimore can really get with that ground game, that's fine. You still have to have somewhat of a compliment through the air. Look at Josh Allen. He's used to rain. He's used to wind. He's used to snow playing professionally in Buffalo and going back to collegiately at Wyoming. Lamar, while he's had some experience like this in the pros, it doesn't always get this cold and this kind of shit weather in the ACC. Can I, can I pile on to that as well with Lamar and his passing game real quick? Because it's a point that I actually didn't, I forgot to bring up, but I should have as well. Go ahead, because I also have another point on this one to add to that after you're done. This might be the best secondary Lamar's faced all year, and arguably one of the best secondaries in the National Football League with guys like Tredavious White, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer patrolling the Buffalo secondary. Our run defense is garbage, but we have arguably the most active defensive backcourt in the NFL. And in the whole situation, I don't think if Baltimore has to really rely on the run, which they will, 
I don't even think that they can put up a 200, 250, 300-yard rushing performance, not against the Bills, even in these conditions. Plus, Josh Allen, for the longest time, everybody talked about Tampa Bay and their long franchise winless streak when kickoff temperatures were 40 degrees or colder. This isn't Tampa Bay. This is Buffalo with Josh Allen. Under those same conditions, when kickoff temperatures are 40 degrees or lower, Josh Allen is 5-1-1 against the spread, 6-1 straight up. I think that trend continues. I, I, I like you those numbers. Yeah, they figure throw in a little extra squid bit. I gave Jason one. Got to give love to Bill's Mafia as well, covering all of New York. Jason, don't break my heart. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I see it. I see it. Uh, I, I'm not going to do it. Uh, I, I'm taking the bills. I'm not taking the over. Really? Strictly because I think Buffalo will have something to come out. And I think that... Uh, the Bills' defense will take the run game away from Lamar, make him beat them, uh, beat him, beat them with his arm, which he does not. I feel that he cannot do. Uh, so, uh, but I also think that uh, you're looking at the a Bills team that is determined and has a lot of heart and soul, and I think that they're going to hang some points on the board. Um, so I think it's going to be, I'm going to take Buffalo. Harry, are you sitting down and getting ready for this? I'm writing stats down. I want to take Buffalo by 17 plus. Well, damn. I mean, it would be nice to have a game that I don't have to worry about getting ready for championship conference championship weekend. And especially with someone in the chat always trolling you, telling you that it's going to be okay. Man, that mother, don't worry. We'll discuss that in a few moments. <laughs> Rest assured, I got that one covered, Eric. I figured. I figured. Our final game in the AFC, the early game on Sunday, is a 305 kickoff at Arrowhead, well, 305 Eastern kickoff. At Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, Missouri, the Cleveland Browns come to town for a yeah for a three hundred five kickoff. I said that already. Mm -hmm. I should have phrased it a little bit better. My bad. But the Browns come to town for a three hundred five get down giggity with Kansas City favored by ten. The over-under is 57, Mr. Watkins. See, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm taking the Chiefs. I'm also going to tell you right now, I'm taking the over. While there's going to be a little bit of a slow start, I think the Browns are going to be able to put themselves in position. My thing is, and I know this is probably going to bite me in the ass again, because I said... I was worried about the spread being 10 between the Bears and Saints. That one had a chance, and that one still finished at 12. I think the Browns are going to do enough to get themselves a backdoor cover. 
I don't like that big of a number. Give me the Chiefs to win, Browns to cover, and I am going to go ahead with the over because I think there's going to be, even with the ball control style that the Browns are going to employ, I think Kansas City is too lightning fast, and I think Mayfield is going to do enough again to keep it close. And with all of this talk about the 305 get down and backdoor cover, yes, there will and should be Twinkies at any pregame festivity. Well, I'm going to say that if uh, I'm going to actually take the Chiefs, uh, I'm going to take the under uh, because I think that it's going to be one of those games that Chiefs jump out early and slack off. Um, I, I've said this and he God, said slack off. Uh, I, 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 I'm Are we going like, to talk about the Nuggets? <laughs> so, I mean, I'm going to say this. I mean, people's heard me uh, all year. I mean, since last year, I've made this claim uh, to the chagrin of Robert Taylor. Uh, the Chiefs' defense is uh, is a very low, under the radar defense. They're surprisingly good. They bend but don't break. They'll give up a ton of yards, but they 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 come through in key turnover situations. Um, I think there's going to be a large uh, a large amount of ball control by Cleveland. Uh, uh, the more you keep Mahomes off the field, the the better your chances are. But I think Kansas City does just enough. Now, I will say this uh, for a certain friend of mine. If um, Cleveland does happen to pull off this upset, uh, I will guarantee a toast of strudel just for them. I feel like the, I feel like the kill in the short bus is the soul. <laughs> Not nice. So, do you have Cleveland covering, Jason, or do you have Kansas City covering? I got, the Kansas, I got Kansas City covering in the under. All right. I got the KC in the under part. I missed the uh, spread pick. All right. I got you now. Um, okay. So, I have to look at this from an analytical standpoint as well as a fanatical standpoint, Eric. Understandable because you've got a lot of skin in this game as well. Fanatically speaking, I want Cleveland to win. Mm -hmm. Because if Cleveland wins, <laughs> giggity, if Cleveland wins, then that means the AFC Championship game comes to Buffalo for the first time since 91, I think. I believe we were on the road in 92 going to the Dallas Super Bowl. I think we were a wild card team in 92. What about 93 and 94? Uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure we got knocked out early in those two years. I'm going to have to look that up, and I'll have more information for that for you guys there. But I, I want to say this would be the first time that the AFC Championship game would be in Buffalo since 1991. That being said... Analytically, there is no possible way that I can take the Cleveland Browns to win this game. They are out. They are 
outstar powered and outperformed at every single position on offense with the exception of running back because of the two-headed monster of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt compared to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. That being said, Kansas City's defense, like Jason said, is a lot better than people give them credit for. And Andy Reid will know how to game plan Kareem Hunt, which I think gives Kansas City an advantage. I'm taking the under here because I don't think this is going to be a high-scoring game at all. I also don't think that it's going to be as big of a blowout as people think it will be. Cleveland keeps it close, but Kansas City does cover late. Oh, this is interesting. Give me... Hold on real quick. Give me Kansas City. We'll say 28-17. Okay. Um, remember what I said about the last time the Bills hosted the AFC Championship? Uh-huh. I was right. 93 93 versus the Chiefs. Uh-huh. I'm just well, saying. We would be going to Kansas City this time, though, so we can't have yeah. that. Yeah. Again. I, I, I know, but I'm just saying. You beat them on your turf, and if it just so happens, they would be able to get revenge year? on their turf. Was that the year of the 30-13 to 13 Dallas loss? Yes. Because I want to say 92 was the 52-17 game. Yeah, that was the that was the loss to uh let me see here. Yep, you're right. 30 to 30 to 13 was 93. Yep. Yeah, cuz Buffalo led like 13-6 at halftime. And the 92 was the 52-17. I want to say it was like 13-6 Bills at halftime. I think Eric's looking that up right now. It was. They specifically mentioned yeah. that one of the four falls. Hmm. I just like Which... the 20 to 19 score. The one where we beat them in their house on Thanksgiving? No, the, the Giants over Buffalo in the Super Bowl, 20 to 19. Oh. Uh. Well, I mean, yeah. hey, twenty to nineteen is better than ten to three if you look at it. But I'd still take that. I, I was going to say, I mean, judging by this, I mean, bragging rights. I mean, Eric has it's, bragging rights. I have bragging rights. The only it's, person it's a doesn't good, have given the fact that the last rights. time we played both of you guys, we won. Sean has bragging rights. <laughs> I mean, really, technically, the only person you have bragging rights is uh, over Taylor currently. Mm-hmm. I, th I think there's a uh, Indianapolis fan in the group chat. And if there isn't, I'm inventing one. <laughs> Poor Harry needing to come and make up cardboard cutout fans just like in stadiums around the country just to make himself feel better. I will say this much. The last time we did play each other recently, living in the History Channel, Mr. Teasley, the Bills did beat both Jacksonville and the Giants. We beat you guys in your house last year. 
all I'm going to say is rings make the world go around. Oh, wait. That means Buffalo's dead in orbit. So are we. But we haven't been around that long. Yep. We're a young planet. I was going to say, you don't have the history that the Bills do. Okay, but technically speaking, Buffalo does have AFL championships. That counts for something. Well, the Giants have uh, world championships. Those don't count. <laughs> hey, it, it, I don't know. I mean, if we're talking here all kinds of technicalities here, Jason does have you. Hate to say it. Eric? Yes. Hush. <laughs> I mean, at least at least people know we're from New York, even though we play in New Jersey. Yeah, the state of New York actually wants us to play in their in their in their state, though. Whatever, you're almost fucking Canada. Uh, for a while there, we almost were Canada. I'm about, I'm about, <laughs> I'm about to say the Toronto Bills did have an interesting ring to it. That it almost happened. The, the state of New York hates you so much, they almost put you in Canada. Well, but I mean, to be fair, the state of New York has had a whole thing against the Giants where you played in three states, lest we forget the Yale Bowl years of the mid-70s. Eric, hmm? I just realized something. If you move the Bills to the CFL, we dominate. No, you wouldn't. You still lose. I don't know. I mean, if you'd have to deal with that extra 13th man, I mean... And not to mention that extra, and that extra ten yards, not and to the, mention that rouge, and that rouge bullshit, and the goalposts at the front of the end zone. But I mean, I'm sure Bills Man, Mafia, I, Bills Mafia I, would love Nova Scotia. I could totally see Cole Be- Beasley knocking himself out on a goalpost and uh, on the goal line, <laughs> just like in the pistachio <laughs> commercial. <laughs> Truth be told, right. I'm surprised he hasn't done it on a goalpost in Buffalo. <laughs> All right. You got to admit, that dude's a little Tasmanian devil on the field. Yeah. All right, Jason, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me at W2M Chairman on Twitter. Um, that's pretty much the only only place I'll respond to uh, fan mail that I get none of. I'm sorry. I thought I was more important than what I actually am. Remember, uh, yeah, the, the, yeah. the the fan yeah, the fan uh, mail w- goes w- to W2M Chairman. The hate mail goes to s.garmer at gmail.com. Please do not <laughs> transpose the two. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, you were so lucky you paused drinking your Coke there, Jason, because he would have made you spit pop. Yes, yes, he would have. <laughs> Where can people find you online, Eric? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Squid Sportshead. AFL season's uh, almost upon us again, so you might see me doing a little more live tweeting. If that's not your thing or about my sports reasons, you can reach out to me on Facebook. Look for Eric Watkins. You know the drill. Guy, recliner, wine, what have you. And if you're looking for a little something extra special or you want to hear some extra random late-night musings, slide into my DMs, undergo a thorough vetting process, and you'll gain access to my Telegram, which I'm using correctly, Dark Twitter, Snapchat, Kick, Zero, MeVe, and a few others that I'm probably going to dabble back into. As Did you always, say VD? 
Vero and Miwi. Oh, I thought you said you had a viral VD, and I was like, dude, get that shit checked out. Look, I, I went through that whole situation some years back, and I am doomed not to repeat it, thank you very much. And as always, uh, this, this public... To a burning ring of fire. This public health service announcement and social media plug, both brought to you by the fine <laughs> folks at Rick's TNT LLC. Website and commercial coming soon. Notary public services and tax assistance services now available. ATB the Eagle on all of the social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter. I don't think I'm banned from Twitter yet, unlike some people. Hey, that's why I have the W2M chairman. <laughs> yeah, otherwise Jason would have been banned from Twitter by now. Um, in addition, uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook, Yahoo Mail, S.Garmer for the hate mail, though. <laughs> and a myriad of other places. How's that for an SAT word, Eric? I thought it was pronounced myriad. Myriad. Huh. Miro. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jesus and Miro don't come back until next month. I'm just as excited. I got the reference, Jason. You're welcome. It's Miro Day. CJ? He has he has a match actually on uh, tonight's dynamite. Remind me remind me to, to send you something later. It's the best thing you'll find on Facebook. Me or Eric? You Harry. Okay, while while he's doing that, um, finishing up my plugs real quick here. Yeah, so uh, in addition, if you guys are interested in wrestling, my reviews are returning to thechairshot.com very soon. I'm putting the final wraps on the 2007 Ted Petty Invitational. That'll be my return review. And then I'm going to probably delve into Progress Chapter 6 if I am able to do so. So that'll be over on thechairshot.com. Myself, Tony Acero, and Liz Puglisi also do the reaction over there. We've been on a bit of a break recently. I had a family situation that kept us from returning this past Monday. We should be back next Monday as we pick up on the road to the 2021 Royal Rumble. You, however, have been listening to The Kickoff, a presentation of the W2M Network, available online at w2mnet.com. In addition, on all of your favorite podcast listening services, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spreaker, Podbean, CastBox. Hey, Eric, guess what? Spotify is here. I'm going first, and you know why. Go for it. The floor is yours. Okay, so I genuinely avoid giving this guy DOTW because I get why he does what he does. <laughs> but football gods are real, as we have discussed many times on this show. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And if there was one person doing his goddamnedest <laughs> to piss them off during Buffalo and Indianapolis, <laughs> it was Robert Taylor, resident Kansas City Chief fan of the W2M Network area podcast, formerly of kickoff, or formerly of MMA to the Max. Robert? Relevancy. Robert? Kindly shut the fuck up during the Bills games, please. If you've got me screaming at you to Eric. shut off, you know you need to shut off. <laughs> Eric, who you got? 
I got a couple this week. As always, until he's officially fired, Mark Lamping, just because, you know, I'm already nervous about where my Jaguars are going. But I'm actually going to throw in an extra bonus to the man himself, Shad Khan. For the love of God, don't be Jerry Jones. Not now. No, 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 no. Don't overcorrect like this and give us all heart attacks. We can do that just fine on our own given what we eat. Jason? Mine's going to be different this week since you already, since you took Matt Harry. Mine's going to be for our, our fearless um, mortar. Control of a leader? Mortar, how he wants to be. Uh, or a fearful leader, uh, Sean, Sean, for absolutely coming out of nowhere, talk shit when his team suffers, when his team's irrelevant, and it feels like, you know, Sean's just, just likes to troll people. Uh, I don't know who's the bigger troll. Well, if Tiff's a troll, uh, I'll give Taylor the bigger troll because Taylor actually makes some funny comments. Is that ever relevant? Sean? Troll? Sean puts Taylor? in effort. Taylor has the team to back up his comments, though. Unfortunately, yeah. though, we hate to admit it. Yeah, but, like, Taylor kind of reminds me of, like, CM Punk on crack. Ouch. So he's what would have happened to Punk if Punk wasn't straight edge? Yeah. I he's mean, like a, he does. He's like, in, in the words of MJF, um, you know, Robert Taylor kind of reminds me of um, uh, the homeless guy begging for change at the end of the freeway. <laughs> but, but, I mean, we, we got to give Sean some credit. He had a rough Sunday. He's out of the playoffs. He's not making any more game checks. I mean, he's got a long off season to look forward to. He, he's got to get his kicking practice in. That's true. He is the only professional athlete of the WTBM network. Exactly. All right. And <laughs> I will close with this word for that game there, Jason. You know what that word is? What's that? Boink! For the unprofessional Jason Teasley Bye-bye. and the, the anchor man, Eric Watkins. I am the voice of reason. I am Harry Broadhurst. This has been The Kickoff, a presentation of the W2M Network. We'll see you next week for Conference Championship Sunday's preview.